Hi everyone, it's Izzy here. And if you didn't know, I'm the one of us that's responsible for editing and uploading our podcast. And I just wanted to let you know about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. And just to clarify, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership everything you need to make a podcast in one place. I like to use it because for me, it just makes everything so simple and easy. And it is the best program that I have found to help upload and find sponsorships. And it automatically distributes it for me. There is literally nothing that I have to do in order to get my podcast onto all of the listening sites. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You can record it right from the app, right from your phone, anywhere. It's convenient, it's easy, and best of all, it's free. Yes, okay, and we're up and going. So Jackie, how are you? I'm good. Um, I just think it's really funny. I got like almost stage fright when you turn it on. This is going to be amazing. Well, it's just you and me. We're just talking about some nice murder. I don't know. I could talk to anybody in in my workplace, and, like, over half of them, I think, would be into it. You heard Or know, like, some of the cases I'm, like, referencing or talking about and stuff. And especially, like, all the stuff that's been happening in the news recently with true crime. I think it's blowing up. You hear it here first, folks. Everyone in the Navy likes murder. <laughs> There's actually been, like, a disproportionate amount of serial killers from the Navy. I got we my eye prob- on you. We could probably do a podcast just <laughs> talking about serial killers who started in the Navy. Uh, didn't the East Area Rapists start off in the Navy? Yeah, I think so. And I think... No, I think the Golden State Killer was... Maybe he was in the Navy for a little bit. I think he was also, like, a police officer. Maybe he was just a police officer. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. I'll let, I'll let everyone know later. There's been <laughs> quite a few, though. There's probably this long wiki article about it, if you look it up. <laughs> I'm to know, like, people, are, people in the Navy are weird. A lot of them. Well... I mean, you're in the Navy, so that makes total sense. I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> so, I wanted to start this podcast with a goal of just kind of highlighting some unsolved cases to bring them back into the public eye. And, uh, you know, someone's got to know something about them. So, my goal is to just get the stories out there. Get the facts out there and to see if anyone still remembers. That being said, I don't think anybody's going to remember my first murder. What about yours? Um, I'm not sure, you know. I think I don't, I'm trying to look at it realistically and, you know, maybe we won't solve any crimes, but I think, I think the world just kind of owes it to the victims, you know. Hell yeah. Just let them pass and in these horrible ways but you know I think the thing that I like about true crime so much is I like I feel safer you know the more I read and the more I listen about true crime because 
before maybe I would just go on a jog by myself, you know, kind of in the evening, not really carrying pepper spray or keys or anything, you know, but now after listening to all these horrible murders that happened in the dark parts of like jogging trails and, you know, anywhere, I, uh, Definitely don't go running at night. <laughs> Definitely carry pepper spray with my phone out. And I'm a lot more security conscious, which I think is something that we we should also focus on. And Yeah, I like that. You know, I saw a tweet that was, uh, isn't all these women watching true crime shows similar to a chicken watching the Food Network? And yes, yes, it is. But... It'd be like if the chicken learned how to avoid the farmer from watching the Food Network, I think. That's just the greatest tweet I think I've ever seen regarding true crime. And, you know, it's it's quite a community, I think, that's kind of rallied around this true crime. And, you know, realistically, I don't even plan on even getting the word out there that much. I just want to tell you about these creepy murders that I've learned about. I'm scarred, so now you have to be scarred, Jackie. That's how it works. <laughs> oh, thanks for that. No, that's good. You're welcome. I can't sleep at night, and I want someone else to feel my pain. I already feel your pain. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> no, I think that, you know, just growing up in a haunted house that mom and dad still refuse to admit was haunted has kind of fueled my desire to learn about things, especially unsolved things. So I think that eventually led in some way or another to my love of murder. But don't yeah, worry. I, think... I don't like to commit murder yet. I mean, <laughs> I don't like to commit murder. Because we would be sleeping outside in the tent with the mountain lions. <laughs> oh, God. You're right. And then it'd be a different type of story on a podcast. At this point, if I was going to get murdered, I'd probably just lie down and be like, okay, but can you make this quick? Like, Just take me. <laughs> just, just, just stab me here and let me lay here. Just please don't make this weird. Speaking of weird, do you want to go first or do you want me to? I think mine's a good ender because it happened in 1909. So it's kind of gruesome, but... The details are old, so it's not as gruesome. Yeah, we can do um, mine first. Uh, okay, did we actually like say the name of our podcast? No, I don't think so we have yet. This is Unsolved Cases and Suspicious Faces with Izzy and Jackie. I'm Jackie. And uh, that's Jackie, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, this is our crime podcast focusing on unsolved murders. That's what we care about. Well, we care about all murders, but unsolved all ones. All yeah, we all care victims. About all victims. And we would really like if these unsolved cases got solved. So, we will tell you these unsolved cases and then if we hear updates, we will update you. Perfect. Um, I don't really like the idea of all the Ted Bundys out there that kind of just do it for attention. I don't like the idea of people 
rallying around these murders and kind of making them celebrities and famous almost and giving them attention i would i would much rather highlight the victims so that's why i like the idea of us just focusing on unsolved murders yeah there's actually been a lot of um murderers who have committed many of their murders to try to get the notoriety and try to become like the greatest serial killer. It's been documented a few times. I want to do unsolved murders because I don't care about the murders. I don't care about the murders either, but I care about the victims and I care about making sure their stories are out there. So I think this is a good idea. Exactly. I say. I we found a light. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great so, idea. We say, recording our first episode where no one can tear it apart or trash it. We already did all the leg work. <laughs> Too late to change. Alright, so. Okay. I will start us out then. Okay, sounds great. I'm going to tell you the murder of Hannah Trula. First of all, I would love to have that last name. Well, you'd think that, but... Uh-oh. Okay. I would hear the rest of the story before you decide. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> so, it's August 23rd, 2012 in Gainesville, Georgia. And this is kind of near Atlanta, Georgia. Um is a state capital so and also the biggest city in georgia so it's a typical day for her she's in high school and her normal schedule is school and then she returns home um but her mom worked so she wasn't really home till later so in a true love spent a lot of time um at the nearby Lake Lanier Club. I'm sorry, um, what year was this again? 2012. Now, this was still allowed? Like, I could see this being like a 90s, early, well, maybe not even well, that late. she was but... in high school. Oh, okay. So, I want to say high schoolers don't need as much parental supervision. And I would say, like, maybe for a mature high schooler, that's true. Um, obviously, that's probably not the best idea for every high schooler, but... Just let them um, be free. What trouble can they get? Oh, never mind. <laughs> We're going to get there. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's a typical day for her. She goes through high school. She goes home, um, which for her is at actually the Lake Lanier Club Apartments. And uh, as she normally does, she hung out in her yard with some of her friends for a few hours after school before her mom got home so that sounds ideal but i'm remembering that we're talking about murder so i'm gonna let you continue 
so she seemed um, normal. She was a popular girl in her high school. Uh, no, she didn't really have any issues. Just seemed, she just seemed like a typical high school girl. So the last time she was seen was about 7.30 in the evening in the common area of these apartments, and that's when her friends left to go back to their home. Her mother started to get the feeling that something was wrong at around 9.30. So Hannah normally should back up at the house around dark. And 9.30 is normally in most areas well after dark. So when she didn't show up, her mom knew something was wrong. And that's when she called the police. Unfortunately, by that, that's two hours now that she's unaccounted for. That's um, so much time. So much can happen in two hours. Yeah, well, really, like, a murder could take place in five minutes, right? So... And if it's with a gun, it could actually happen a lot in a lot less time than that. So, so keep your kids on leashes, everyone. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> a lot of time for especially a high, high schooler to not be accounted for, for people, for nobody to know where they are. Yeah. So... Her mom calls the police and tells them, you know, her daughter is missing. And police come to the club apartments and they search the area, but they don't find anything. And they eventually had to call up the search because it was pouring outside. A huge rainstorm kicked up, so they couldn't see anything. They didn't find anything, and they had to leave. So quick sidebar, Jackie, if I go missing, please continue to search for me in the rain. I will drive all the way out there. It'll take, what, five days? <laughs> but, um, That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> You're going to be the one to find me, though. I know it. That's terrifying. That's, <laughs> I do lot of that. No pressure, don't but a lot of pressure. Jackie, you, you need to find me. <laughs> I don't want to see a dead body at five days old. And I definitely don't want to see somebody I know's dead body. What if I promise... Days to die with a funny look on my face absolutely not <laughs> nope that's fair okay please continue i'm sorry <laughs> fine the next day a man walking his dog thought he saw a mannequin and it turns out it was not a mannequin it was the body of hannah true love she oh. was left in a stream bed next to lake Lim- I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing it right. Lake Lanier. Yeah. Um, And that's where her body was left. Also, probably why the police had such a hard time seeing it in the rain. They probably didn't want to get too close to the stream bed. Um, But she had been stabbed several times. Oh, oh no. So, and I kind of wanted to, I'll tell you a little bit about the problems I had when I was gathering this story. I wanted to tell you the story and I wanted to tell you about all the pieces of evidence that they found that the police found when they were looking for her killer. But unfortunately, everything, all the circumstantial evidence, any like hairs or fibers or DNA that you normally see in these type of cases was all washed away by the heavy rain and water from the stream. No. Yeah, so oh. um, they didn't find anything on her body that would lead or point towards her killer. That's so sad. But 
this case has a twist. Oh. An interesting twist. I told you she died on August 23rd, 2012. Yeah. So on the 12th of August, she tweeted, so scared right now. Um, and what happened with that was she thought she, she thought somebody was stalking her. Oh. Um, yeah. So she was telling friends that she had to get away from her apartments. Um, it, it was kind of that bad where she definitely felt like she was being watched all the time. Oh um, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, and police looked into, police definitely looked into it because that's kind of ominous, right? Yeah. But there was no legitimate threat. She, what? Hold on. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, there were also rumors that she had a secret cell phone. Yeah, it's a teenage but girl. They said that they, ne- they never found the cell phone. None of her friends that they talked to were able to like give them details about this cell phone. It was basically just a rumor going around town. Yeah. But she was able to communicate with friends through a Nintendo DS, which you think might hold some clues, but police searched through all of that and nothing she talked to her friends about through that Nintendo had anything of value on it for her murder. Hey guys, here's my stalker's name and what he looks like. Everyone... Quickly, get on your old Nintendo DSs and tell your friends what your stalker looks like. It's important. This was 2012. So, I mean, I guess cell phones were pretty... I guess I was a junior in high school. I had already graduated. Oh. Yeah. Well, oh, my God. And I had a cell phone, so... Yeah. I, mean, I think more commonplace, but... I think it was right before like right on the cusp of like smartphones taking off but we definitely had like i think dad had like the first samsung galaxy and we had those little phones that were touch screen but had like the rumor? <laughs> yeah that had like the slide up key keypads and stuff right yeah um so she's listening to avril lavigne texting her friends and playing on her ds gotcha Yeah, but she didn't have a secret cell phone. Another thing police were looking for was a 1990s to early 2000s four-door silver or light-colored vehicle. Um, They think think it was seen in the area about the time that something happened. Um, They said it had front-end damage and it was possibly a Chevy or a Dodge. That's, that's not too specific, but I mean, I guess it's specific enough that you could at least keep your eye out for cars that look like that. Yeah, just like the combination of the front end damage and the light colored vehicle. I bet there's not too many run. Like, I bet that would stick out in your mind if you saw it. On, it was this on the a street if you knew the police were looking? Was this a big area? Like, was it a big city? I think it was more a subdivision outside of Atlanta. Okay, so... so Atlanta itself is a big area. I don't know how big, like, the subdivisions are. Wow. This poor girl. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm sorry. Please continue. Oh, it's fine. Um, they never came out and said, really, why they were looking for this car. And they never um, said that they found it. Another thing to note is police think that she knew her killer. Well, you know, you're more likely to be murdered by someone you know than a stranger, so that makes sense. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, the police also think it's because she was in a more populated area. If somebody had tried to kidnap her or tried to take her um, against her will and she was fighting, there would have been a fight where she would have shouted or said something and there were too many people around for that happen for that to happen and for someone to not hear something. Yeah, someone's got to know something. Right, because she, even though, like, where her body was found and where they think she was killed was kind of in a more secluded area, it was still in an apartment complex, right? It was still by all of these apartments. I live in an apartment complex, and let me tell you, you can hear the sounds outside. It is not quiet by any means. They also think she was um, killed by someone she knew because she had most likely walked to the secluded location with her killer instead of her being picked up or dragged there. You know, I mean, that makes sense because in 2012 young girls especially knew not to hitchhike we knew not to to i mean for for for, i was gonna say a bad word for fuck's sake uh we went through the whole stranger stranger danger craze in elementary school like that makes sense it doesn't seem like in that time period somebody would just be like oh a stranger well yes i will walk into the woods with you that is a great idea uh no i i completely agree there's nothing no reason i could think of of somebody just walking up to me that i don't know and going hey um you want to come to this woods area with me well i mean the person could have been known her and threatened like something she cared about or had like a knife or a gun but i can understand where the the whole she knew her killer thing came into play for sure Right, she definitely walked over there without too much of a without too much of a struggle. So maybe she, maybe the person did have a weapon and told her something would happen to her if she didn't, or maybe she knew her killer. But that's just another reason. Like one reason on its own might not be enough for the police to say she definitely knew her killer. But with all of these things combined, they think it's very likely that she did. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there are are no suspicious cases, or (laughs) there are no suspicious faces in this case. Police never really came out with a person that they were really looking at for this crime. They said that there was just not enough evidence that they could link up to really point at anyone. That's so Um, sad. Yeah, please think there was more than one, there was maybe more than one person present even. Um, It's who they're trying to reach out to. They, like we said earlier, they think that somebody knows something um, besides the murderer and they're just not talking. They say that they've received thousands of leads from people calling in and reporting and tipping, but they're just not substantiated. They don't have anything to link them back as of yet hopefully that changes hopefully you know we always hope that they find some blood evidence or technology gets better and um they find something that they hadn't seen before but 
as of right now, uh, this might surprise you, but this case is unsolved. Um, but I do have a phone number for the Hall County Sheriff. It's at 770-531-6885 or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS, T-I-P-S. And they're just trying to ask people to reach out to them if they think, even think that they have any information that could be useful about this case. Um, you don't have to know that it's involved. Sometimes even background information or little pieces of information here and a piece of information there that might not mean much to one person can link up and create the puzzle of the picture that the police are looking for. So. Yeah, you never know what that missing piece is. All you, all you need to say is, hey, I saw a car like that and the driver was blonde and that could be like the final missing piece that they're looking for. Exactly. So, yeah, they just want people to reach out um, just in case they have that last little bit of information. But that is the story of the murder of Hannah Trulove. That was a really good story. I've never even heard of that one before. Yeah, um, a lot of people find this case interesting because... They say she kind of preconceived her own death because of the tweet she sent out about her being scared. Well, I mean... And then she died less than two weeks later. I mean, she was in high school. How many creepy guys do you know from high school? A lot. Yeah. Like, I'm, I've, I know that I've had my run-in with people that I've known in high school specifically that have given me the heebie-jeebies now. So, like, that just... That just makes a lot of sense. It it could be someone she knew. It could be a total stranger. We just, we don't know. But hopefully anybody that saw something or remembers something will come forward and one day we'll be able to put that case to rest. Or at least get some suspicious faces up in there. At least somebody that they can like really look at because when there's not even somebody the police suspects, like how hard is that for the family? Yeah. To just be like, we don't have any any um, suspects and we also don't have any evidence. So the chances of the police ever catching someone for this is not great with the way technology is right now. Unless hopefully the police aren't sharing everything with the public. Hopefully they have like one piece of DNA or a hair or something, you know, but yeah, who knows? All right. Well... Unfortunately for mine, I will not have a phone number for you to call because it did take place in 1909. So anybody that knows anything, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say is probably passed on. Um, but there is also just one main suspicious face, but he was actually convicted of the crime. But the reason I included this one as an all unsolved murder is because of the mishandling of the case by the police and there's just not enough concrete evidence to know what happened for sure. So my murder is the, also in Georgia, 1909 Savannah Axe murders. Have you heard about this one at all? I don't think so. Okay. Well, it was featured in an episode of Ghost Adventures because this area uh, is haunted as fuck. Um, I would like to shout out and say that my sources are 
Ghost Haunt Savannah's Most Diabolical Crime by Linda Sickler on savannahnow.com. And, of course, 1909 Savannah Axe Murders on Wikipedia. Do we have to source Wikipedia? Uh, I I would like to, just so that way, you know, if somebody's like... like every case we're going to be like, and Wikipedia, and Wikipedia, and Wikipedia. Okay, so let's... We just put it in the show notes. Or we can just say right now, uh, Wikipedia is the source for all of these. <laughs> um... So, so someone was convicted but pardoned, and I chose to do the story because it's still somewhat a mystery, and I'll let you be the judge of what happened. Let me be the judge. Not you specifically, because, I mean, I've seen your husband. I know your judgment's not great. That's not very nice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like Josh. He's real cool. So... In the early afternoon on December 9, 1909, an unidentified man was passing the Gribble house when he heard groaning coming from the open front door. He went to investigate and found 35-year-old Maggie Hunter. And this is awful, but she was still alive and her skull was crushed in. Jesus. Yeah. Can you, like, your skull's crushed in, your brain's mush. Can you imagine how painful that has to be? Well, there's that forensic files about the guy who was axed in the face, and you might, I don't know how much you watch it, but he, like, got up, I keep saying, like, a lot, I'm sorry, but he got, he slept through the rest of the night, and he woke up, but since it only, like, slashed you the part of the brain that deals with, like, higher commands, higher thinking, mm-hmm. he's basically what was left of his body just got up and did his morning routine so he like walked out of his house grabbed the paper and ate his breakfast before he died of blood loss trying to go back up the stairs to get dressed for the day oh my goodness right oh well uh the man that discovered maggie hunter called the police and when they arrived the police found the body of carrie olander who is 36 farther down the hall her head was also crushed in and she had been sexually assaulted her throat had also been slit so so far it seems like carrie's attack to me seems more brutal which may lead to carrie being the target but we'll get more into that later carrie's mother eliza gribble who was 76 was found in the back bedroom her head was crushed in as well So, three women were found, their heads all crushed in, and only one was sexually assaulted and had her throat slit. Ah, right there. Um, A bloody axe was found in the house, which was believed to be the murder weapon. And the interesting thing about this murder, well, a lot of it's interesting, but this 1909 was a time period where the press was heavily, heavily involved with murder cases. They were often allowed in... um, when the police were trying to investigate as well as the general public so into the crime scenes or into into the case both into the crime scene specifically is what i was talking about because this murder was found early enough in the day that the evening paper was able to report on it the day that it happened um yeah the crime scene was not well maintained as you'd imagine because reporters were allowed to roam around and report on what they saw 
So this crime soon became national news and caused hysteria, as you can imagine. Um, so this is the part that's not so great, but without any witnesses whatsoever, the police thought and reported that an African-American was responsible and brought 150 African-American men in for questioning. Were they like, I'm sorry, were they looking for a specific person? No. Or did they just assume that it was a person of that race? There were no witnesses at all. They just said, oh, this had to be an African-American man. Let's go get as many as we can find. Which is just wow. terrible. Yeah, well, this was before. I mean, it was 1909, so that's before. That's 50 years before Martin Luther King. and. Yeah, this was before the civil rights movements, but it's still just, just a terrible thing to do. It's a terrible right. mindset to be in, and I'm really happy that for the most part, people still don't seem to be in that mindset. If racial tensions were not already just the worst, now there is a crime reported at the national level and causing widespread panic, and the police decide without any witnesses that it was an African-American person. So um, this kind of saw, because of this case, um, it just kind of added to the stigma of African-American people. But soon after this, Maggie Hunter woke up and told a reverend who was who had attacked her it was her estranged husband jc hunter so okay but i thought you said this was unsolved it is i'm gonna get into it i mean it very well could have been jc hunter but there's just a lot surrounding this case that it very well make could have been somebody else oh and she was the only one to survive out of the three right yes and she may not have been a well a reliable witness and she might have just said that to um drag him down and i'll explain a little bit about that could you imagine surviving a murder attempt and the first thing you do after is going yeah it was my asshole ex-husband you know that actually happened in the louisiana uh axemen cases really which i'm gonna do a little later yeah but that's insane (laughs) that's just outrageous to me that's wild I know. Like knowing you're just like, you know what? I didn't see his <laughs> I know face. Did this. But I know it's that son of a bitch. It smelled like him. <laughs> I don't know. Didn't see anything, but I could feel it. So to talk about some poor timing, Maggie Hunter had just moved into the house the day before. But Maggie didn't seem to be the if you remember Maggie wasn't the um the one that had been attacked worse so it didn't really seem like she was the she was the target because Carrie had been sexually assaulted had her head crushed in and her throat slit right so Um, people just think it's a weird coincidence yeah, and since Maggie's the only one that survived, well, for now, it could be very much too, and I'll explain a little bit more about why this is the case, but it very much could have been that she was just looking to center herself around it, but I will get more into that. Yeah, that needs a little more explaining because I don't understand. Yes, don't worry. 
Two women were brutally murdered, one of which was sexually assaulted, and one woman was savagely attacked and lay dying, yet no one heard or saw a thing in a populous area area at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which is very strange. The only reason that the bodies were discovered is because a man passing by on the street heard a groan. So clearly you could hear just a low groan from the street, yet no one heard the chaos that had to have ensued during the murder. So the two main theories about this case are that the murders were committed by someone hoping to rob the place or Maggie Hunter's husband, J.C. Hunter, killed them for revenge. So the first theory that the motive was robbery was based on the belief that Mrs. Gribble, the 76-year-old mother, had a trunk full of valuables that was discovered missing after the murder. But this is largely unfounded and there were so many people in the house during the investigation that it would be impossible to know for sure if the murderer took anything. The second theory is far more likely. This theory assumes that J.C. Hunter wanted to specifically murder Maggie Hunter and Carrie and Eliza were simply in the wrong place at the wrong time, but I still don't think it was them. So continuing, (laughs) Uh, there were no signs of a struggle in any of the rooms, so the murderer had to have known the house and known the layout. But again, that crime scene was heavily contaminated because detectives, reporters, and anyone who wanted to enter were allowed in during the crime scene investigation. The police believed that Maggie Hunter was the key to finding the murderer because she believed that her estranged husband, J.C. Hunter, was the murderer. The police just arrested him. However, and this is where it starts to get interesting, they released him when his co-workers claimed that he was with them at the time of the murders and was only away from work from 12 to 1230, which was before the murders took place. So the only reason that they think that he could have done the murders is because a neighbor's testimony said that the hunter was leaning against an oak tree in the front of the house before the murders took place. Interesting. But officers eventually determined that J.C. Hunter's alibi was false. Is that he was not at work, as he claimed? Yeah, they decided that he wasn't at work, but they don't ever explain why they thought that, especially since his coworkers were like, No, he was here. According to J.C. Hunter, before the murders took place, Hunter stated that Maggie told him she would leave him alone if he bought her a sewing machine so she could earn a living herself. So this leads me to believe that J.C. Hunter was the one that kicked her out and wanted the divorce. Because if she's just like, I'll leave you alone if you just get me a sewing machine, then I don't need to rely on you for anything. And he's like, done? That tells me that maybe she's the one that was hanging on him you know what i'm saying well i think i think you're probably right i don't want to jump to assumptions but i know in 1909 divorces were not very common yeah and especially like women who were divorced were looked down upon true maybe that's why she was saying that she would have nothing to do with him or like I don't know if divorce proceedings in court are the same. I'm sure it was a very different back (laughs) then, but maybe she was saying, if you do this for me, I won't fight you as much in court or wanting things out of the divorce. Maybe. Before I get into the theory, though, uh, I just want to state that Maggie Hunter is not a reliable witness in her own murder because she died in the hospital a few days after the attack. Uh, do you want to guess why? Uh, her brain was crushed in. Well, that, true. Like, 
if your brain's crushed, you probably can't remember the best, but she was actually, she was actually just shit face drunk uh, because they were told the police that she ran into Maggie at 1.45 p.m., which is only 15 minutes before the bodies were discovered, that she ran into Maggie just absolutely drunk off her ass. Wow. Yeah. That's really, I'm not judging her for being drunk, but that was like, I was not expecting you to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but that's why, but when she said it was her husband, she, you know, there was this divorce going on and I'm sure that caused a lot of tension and she was drunk according to one of the neighbors. So maybe she wanted to just be like, oh no, it was my husband that did this. So the theory that police came up with is that Maggie Hunter got home after the two women were already dead and started sewing as the machine was found threaded with fabric set up ready to be sewn. Police believe that she unknowingly ran into her killer. What? Yeah. So they think that the other two women were already dead. She got home, was like, I'm just going to do my sewing. And since she was drunk, she probably didn't like, hey, who's this guy or anything like that. I mean, you can still see, I have never been that drunk, but you can still see when you're drunk, right? I feel like if you saw a dead body, you would still... Well, they were farther into the house. So they think she just walked into the house and straight to her sewing machine? Yeah, straight to her sewing machine, got it set up, and then the person that was there was like, oh shit, and just... Oh, wow. Well, I just killed two people, why not add a third? Um, so the circumstances in this case get stranger still when a witness came forward and stated that Maggie Hunter had predicted her own death. Hey, two of these. That's amazing. (laughs) There's no way. Yeah, she went to pay her insurance, but didn't have the 60 cents to pay for it. Um, but the insurance solicitor told her that she had until Saturday night to pay it. And then she informed him, I believe, oh, I'm sorry, but she didn't believe Hold on, let me start that over. I'm sorry. She then informed the insurance solicitor that she would try, but she didn't believe she would live that long and said, this is her exact quote, I would be surprised by five o'clock to see the bloody work that would be done. That's crazy. Yeah, the insurance solicitor thought she was going to kill herself. When you think about that, though, one of the most common reasons to kill is for money and you see it over and over again that the people especially people in um divorces when they have these large insurance claims on their spouse's lives and they know they only have a few days before that potential stream of income is shut off or their spouse ex-spouses getting the name on these policies switched over that's when a lot of these now they murder modern day murders happen so maybe it was like a precursor to that where this soon-to-be divorced husband saw that this policy was going to expire and jumped on his chance Maybe, but the insurance solicitor asked her if she was going to kill herself, and she replied that he would see that afternoon. This is but just... But you can't smash your own head in. I know. No, she she didn't kill herself, but she kind of predicted her own death, which is just absolutely crazy to me. 
Yeah, that's wild. To give you a little bit more background about J.C. Hunter, because he is the main suspect. Uh, J.C. Hunter's real name was David L. Taylor. He was a Confederate veteran who had been wounded in the Battle of Atlanta. He had also been convicted twice before, once for stealing a horse, and guess what the second charge is? Murder. Fucking bigamy. What? Yeah, bigamy. Nuh-uh. This bitch had two wives at the same time before marrying Maggie. So was she his third wife at the same time? Or did he divorce his first two and then marry? He divorced his first two, and he was... Much older than Maggie. I think he was in his 50s and Maggie was in her 30s. I don't think that was so uncommon. I don't, for the- I don't think so either, but I think they got together when she was, like, younger. Oh, gross. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, upon searching his house, bloody clothing was found, which is not a good sign. It's, this is kind of just a case of he said, she said, because at the scene of a crime, the police found a cane engraved with from sis and the letter W. Maggie's brother said the cane belonged to their father, Mr. Wise, who had given the cane to J.C. Hunter. But, I mean, it could very much be a, well, I don't want to be with you anymore. Give me my father's cane, you know? So that was found at the ex-husband's house? No, the cane was found at the murder scene. Okay. So on February 13th, a grand jury indicted J.C. Hunter and two other men for the murders. So they thought that he had two accomplices the other accomplices never got convicted because well they didn't do it one there was absolutely no background for and the other uh wasn't even in town at the day of the murder that's some good old-fashioned police work right there yeah but they indicted them um jc hunter was the only one convicted he was sentenced to death by hanging The day before he was supposed to be hanged, the governor reduced his sentence to life in prison. And in 1923, he was fully pardoned at the age of 77. So he was actually in his 70s. And I think Maggie was in in her 30s. Wow. Yeah. So another fact about this case I want to mention is that no one could agree on how many people were responsible. There is doubt about how guilty J.C. Hunter is because witness testimony was completely unreliable. You had... A neighbor's like, oh, no, he was outside the house. Uh, his coworkers were all like, no, he was at work with us. The insurance solicitor said that Maggie predicted her own death and Maggie was drunk. So you can't trust Maggie's testimony saying that it was her ex-husband. The woman who got most of the attack was Carrie, not Maggie, which led to police confusion because Everything was pointing to Carrie being the main target, but they couldn't prove that she was because Maggie Hunter said it was J.C. Hunter. That's the only route that police really checked in on. And he just bought her a sewing machine, which at this time were not cheap at all, so she could earn a living. So if he was planning on just murdering her, which in this case is clearly premeditated, he would have just put off buying her a sewing machine. Right. So if Hunter was targeting Maggie, he would have known her schedule as she had just left him too. So it wouldn't have been a case where the murder showed up too early for Maggie and then had to wait there for her. It would be a, no, I know what she's going to be doing. I know she's going to be home at this time. That's when I'm going to attack. You know what I'm saying? Well, kind of. But do you think it was... Do you think she was an alcoholic? And so being that 
drunk was a part of her daily schedule. You know, I don't think I want to comment on that because I haven't been an alcoholic, so I don't really know what it's like. So I can't really speak to that. No, we were just talking about him maybe knowing her daily schedule. Yeah. So unless she's has like a flask and she's drinking while she's doing her normal. Well, you know about what she did that day is she left to get or left to go see the insurance solicitor. And then she got supplies for her new sewing machine that she had just got from J.C. Hunter. And then she went home. But in some period of time, she got drunk. So there's not a whole lot to be known, especially since during this time period, I really don't think that they followed up on it. I really don't think that they followed any other lead besides J.C. Hunter. I mean, they decided that it was an African-American man without any testimony. So I think it was very much out, no, we need to figure out who did this and we need to cut corners. You know, I don't know why, but something about this story just makes me feel so much better about (laughs) the technology and DNA and all of the evidence gathering that we have today that we have we have something else to rely on that's not just said she said he said she said exactly yeah i i definitely agree i think that i I just the the reason i included this is because yes someone was convicted eventually parted pardoned but convicted but i still don't think that the evidence was clear enough to say it was him i think there's a lot of mystery still and I, from everything that I've learned about it, the police never searched for other avenues. Right. I mean, the evidence might not be there to point directly at him, but there's nothing that points towards anybody else, but that doesn't mean you can arrest that guy. Yeah. You know? So, yes, that was the story of the 1909 Savannah Axe murders. I'm definitely going to be thinking about that one for a while. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of crazy to me that there's just so many variables that you have to consider because it does seem like the most logical option is, oh, it was the ex-husband, but why would he buy her a sewing machine? Why would he say, please leave me alone, here this is? You know, why why did Maggie predict her own death? There's just so many, there's just so many things that I don't feel like got fully explained because it was during this time period. Or, you know what? conspiracy theory time here <laughs> aliens <Maybe Max laughs> hired somebody to kill her because she wanted one last f you well we don't know who the insurance money was going to that's Maybe true it was going to her family but she seemed to know that she was going to die yeah right? yeah maybe she's in on it holy crap i think we figured it out genius <laughs>